Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening, and uh, returning after a long hiatus, a frequent guest of the program, Joe Lucia is here. What's up, man? How you doing, Brad? Thanks for having me back. It's my pleasure, sir. It's been too long, um, and I thought it was a good time. It's, it's Mother's Day. Uh, nothing's going on in your life today. Nothing about your soccer team or Game of Thrones <laughs> or whatever else is going on. It's been a slow day for everybody, I'm sure. And it works out well because it's a West Coast road trip and I'm on the West Coast now. So I actually got to uh, see some of these games. Yeah, I mean, I know, uh, you know, our frequent co-host Scott Coleman was in the building, I believe, yesterday and today. Um, I got to watch, probably it's kind of funny, I I think I watched more Braves baseball than normal this week because I'm often up. I'm still on the East Coast, of course, but I'm often up very late covering things and working on websites and things like that. So uh, late games are actually almost better for me, as weird as that is, is some of the kids were getting over at like 1.30 in the morning. But, um, you know, it was it didn't go too poorly, and I got to see some baseball. Uh, we will come back to some big-picture topics. We we're going we're to touch on Austin Riley later. That's probably the biggest thing we'll talk about. Maybe some Madison Bumgarner even because of the stuff that was happening with him uh, today and yesterday. But let's talk about what happened this week. The Braves, big picture – posted a three and four record over seven games. And I said last week on this very podcast that three and four would be more than acceptable. Now I didn't probably bank on it being an O and four to start and then a three and O to end, but three and four and uh, six and four on the road trip is kind of all you can possibly ask for. Even if it was not exactly pretty in the middle. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what exactly the bad juju the Braves have at Dodger Stadium is, but those three games were really not pretty and not all that competitive at all. But the four games in Arizona were much better, even though the offense did not hit for a ton of power. They still got three out of four. And in all honesty, they should have swept the four. But some uh, late shenanigans on the Thursday game prevented that from happening. Yeah, I mean, if you tell me that the Braves are going to score, what is it, 13, uh, 15 runs in four games, you probably think they're not going to win three out of four, but they go ahead and do that, and that was uh, more than enough against Arizona. We'll touch on the Dodger series real quick because that was the first thing that happened. You mentioned none of those games were, were terribly competitive because um, they really weren't. I mean, I guess Monday they only lost by two technically, but it was they were, they were down 5 nothing, put together something of a comeback based on some home runs from Arcakis and Freeman, but... Gosman got beat up a little bit, gave up 11 base runners in four and a third innings. Uh, on Tuesday, it was not fun at all. It was a 9 nothing final. Uh, Hunjin Ryu just dominates the Braves at every turn. Um, 
And even Max Free got beat up a little bit and had to leave the game. Fortunately, that was not a bad injury, and he ended up pitching uh, later in the week. But Justin Turner had the, had the night of his life on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, uh, it was Fulte was shaky. Uh, A.J. Minter was not good, and he ended up getting sent down later. And then uh, the one bright spot was the Ronald Acuna home run off Clayton Kershaw. But other than that, not too much to take away from those three games. So you mentioned sort of like a house of horrors for the Braves. Um, we all kind of predicted it, and it kind of was almost as bad or worse as, than we all would have thought. Like, I'm not sure I would I would have predicted a sweep loss. Like, I, I couldn't have possibly predicted the Braves to go in there and win because there's just there's no basis in that. The, the, the Dodgers are better than the Braves, and the Braves just don't ever win there. But the way that they were swept pretty soundly was frustrating, even if it now feels a little bit better because of the way that things went in, in Arizona. And I think what kills me most about that three-game series is that the quote-unquote weak link in the Dodger rotation right now among the three stars the Braves faced was Clayton Kershaw. And when he <laughs> is like your third best or fourth best starter or whatever it is, you know things are going pretty well for you. So Ryu was fantastic in game two. He was great again today. He yeah, had he a no hitter going to like seventh inning. Walker Bueller has been fantastic for the last year plus. So it's really not surprising, but it still is really depressing. And I'm just kind of happy to get these three games out of the way so early in the season. For sure, and by the way, as a sidebar here, uh, Ryu, if you combine the Brave start and the way he pitched today against Washington, uh, 17 innings, 5 hits, 1 walk, 15 strikeouts this week for Ryu. He's pretty good. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't just the Braves at least. Uh, and, you know, The Dodgers are really good, so that's, it's something like running, running into a buzzsaw. And that building has not been kind, but they did respond as we talked about before. And you know, Thursday was not a fun game uh, in some ways. You know, there was the bright spot of Mike Soroka, who really didn't have it going. I didn't think on Thursday, but was able to grind through and a pretty solid outing. Still, um, the Braves had the lead though in the ninth. Uh, Luke Jackson, Jackson gave it up in the ninth after Donaldson took, uh, hit a home run to take the lead, and then uh, Minter in the and then Minter uh, did not pitch very well did not get an out and uh, lost that game in walk-off kind of fashion he was immediately sent to Gwinnett after that by the way with a 9.82 ERA let's talk a minute about Minter because he's now not on the team for a while and uh, you know as someone who we kind of all agree was maybe the best pitcher at least but at least the most talented pitcher in the bullpen even a couple weeks ago when he was kind of struggling it's been really kind of jarring to see how bad he has been I'm not sure I'd, I'd bail on him entirely or anything like that but um, it's not great to have the one guy you thought was kind of safe in your bullpen not be safe at all yeah and it really just kind of reinforces how much of a mistake the front office made this offseason by not getting some kind of reinforcement for that bullpen when you're counting on Mincer and Vizcaino in the eighth and ninth and both of them have been injured and or ineffective that's Really not a good look for uh, the rest of the season going forward. I, I mean, Mincer will be back. We all know this. Hopefully he does not uh, stay in Gwinnett too long and he's able to put things together soon. But the way he's pitched so far this season has really been eye-opening and not in a good way. Yeah, not good. I mean, I'm not bailing on him because he is super talented and there's a reason why he was a, a big-time prospect. But uh, it was not... Not good, and that was sort of maybe the low point because, you know, we, again, we kind of expected some frustrations in Los Angeles, but to, co to come in and uh, blow a game late on Thursday to lose your fourth in a row was uh, a frustrating time. Uh, fortunately, the rest of the weekend went very well. There was a lineup change on Friday night. Um, they went to Ronald Acuna in the leadoff spot, which is something we've been calling for for a long time. Like, I was not necessarily banging the drum like this absolutely had to happen 
because you know I think Ozzy has been okay. His on base percentage was not great in the leadoff spot. I was basically don't don't lead off with Ender. That's kind of been my uh, my mo this year. But all things equal, I I do prefer Acuna leading off because he is the best hitter or second best hitter, depending on how you feel about Freddie Freeman. So getting more plate appearances is a good thing. And I think um, as funny as this is, I think them winning over the weekend probably makes it more likely that they're going to leave that there, even if it's not. It's probably a, a little bit of. Uh, coincidence that they suddenly started winning with that lineup but at the same time uh, that that happening right right as they rail off three in a row was probably good if you are rooting for that alignment yeah it's funny there weren't like a ton of runs scored that were because of this new lineup arrangement or something along those lines but Acuna did look a lot better hitting that leadoff role he was hitting the ball really hard even though he got kind of unlucky at times I think uh, I think this is going to kind of flow a lot better. Moving Dansby up in the order, he's more of a dynamic player than Donaldson. I don't want to roll out the old base clocking thing, but with Dansby hitting second instead of Donaldson, maybe you could have a little more magic happen in front of Freeman, put some more runners on base for him, and then Donaldson following up. I think long-term it's going to work out, even though this weekend it resulted in three wins, but I don't think anyone would really point to the lineup as why the Braves ended up winning those three games. Yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't exactly an offensive explosion, and uh, you know, just for for the record, I, you know, I'm okay with the lineup as it is. I do think that I would not be hitting Dansby second. But that's just me. It's not like a big nitpick that I have. And he's been quite good this year on the whole. But um, you know, getting your best your best players more plate appearances is a good thing in general. And uh, I guess you, if you want to say that Donaldson's a more traditional cleanup hitter. That's fine. I don't really care about that, <laughs> but it's just one of those things that people want, and now they have it. Um, one more thing on Friday night specifically was that, obviously, I think you, you mentioned this before, but Acuna had the, the biggest swing of the game with the home run to take the lead in the eighth that they ended up winning the game from there. But a good Julio Tehran outing, which is good. You don't, you don't, you don't want to waste those um, when they happen. And uh, Julio was good in six innings, and then the bullpen actually was locked down in three innings on Friday, and that was a, a positive thing coming off of the uh, adventure the night before. So a generally positive night at the office, which followed into Saturday where the offense was actually sort of the difference maker for the most part on Saturday with every starter getting a hit in the game. You have Brian McCann going deep. Johan Camargo is starting to come alive a little bit um, over the weekend, which is nice to see. And they got good Gosman as well. So, uh, you know, with the, with the way the starting pitching has been outside of Freed and Soroka, getting back-to-back quality outings from Tehran and Gosman was uh, well-timed, I will say. Yeah, absolutely. And even though uh, Josh Tomlin gave up three runs in relief of Gosman, I mean, he did not give up the lead. He ended up just kind of stretching that game out a little bit. So they only needed to use three relievers. It wasn't one of those outings where you're using a ton of your bullpen. So that ended up okay. Gosman, as you said, pitched quite well. Uh, Jacob Webb, again, is uh, still holding his own. So I think there were uh, more positives than negatives to come out of that. Yeah, shout out to Jacob Webb, who's uh, been okay. Um, Just real quickly, since we're here, I figured this out today. I tweeted out earlier in the week, actually improved a little bit, but uh, the non-freed, non-Soroka starting pitchers this season have a 5.45 ERA. And that actually includes the good games this week from Gosman and Julio. So that kind of tells you 
what kind of an adventure it's been. It's not just those guys. You know, Fulte's been not great. Um, Sean Newcomb early in the year was not great. Obviously, you have some Kyle Wright in there as well, some some mixed bag um, players along the way. But the, the non-Freed and Soroka uh, outings have been kind of an adventure. So if that sort of stabilizes, that'd be really helpful. And, you know, I'm not sure what you could take from two starts from Julio and Gosman, but you needed something to go well with your uh, other starting pitchers, and that was a fortunate break. Are you worried about the rest of the rotation? I mean, I think that's something that's almost been undercovered because all, all, all the bullpen attention that we've had, and of course the lineup's always going to get some some discussion, but I think you know it's sort of an underrated problem the Braves have had this year before this before this weekend that the, the other stars have been pretty shaky for, on the, for the most part. I'm not worried about it because I don't think they're actually going to do anything about it if it remains an issue (laughs) because Soroka and Freed have been the team's two best starters and they're obviously not going anywhere. But at the same time, Tehran and Gossman can't slash won't be option because of their service time and salaries. Uh, Same deal with Fulte. He's probably not going to get sent down even though he's struggling. He would need a phantom DL stint. So what would you do in the event that you want to make a change in the rotation? There really is not a lot you can do. It's not a situation like with Newcomb where he's still pre-arb, he still has options left, so you can send him down, bring him back up as a hyper reliever, even though that really hasn't happened yet with him in the bullpen. So it really just comes down to if the Braves need to make a switch to the rotation, where will they do it? I can't see the opportunity presenting itself unless someone gets hurt or we have a two week phantom DL stint for something like back stiffness. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I hadn't thought about that way necessarily, but it's a, it's a good thing to point out there. And, you know, it's still a small sample size with faulty right now, but in three starts, he has a 5.94 ERA and he's not looked very good, frankly. And it's not, you, you don't want to panic because he was the best pitcher by a long shot last year and he's still 27 years old, but he uh, needs to be better, and he's the one guy because you know, all your points are accurate with regard to Gosman and Julio. Those guys are just going to be there, and then we'll see what happens barring DL stints. But it's a good point, and hopefully um, the swing guy is, is Fulte. I mean, if Fulte is the guy that you think he's going to be um, from last year or at least close to that, it would very much help things because then you settle in with Gosman as your number four and Julio as your number five, and you're probably okay. But if Fulte is bad, you're in some trouble. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm somewhat worried about like what exactly is going on with Fulte because I'm looking at his Fangraphs page right now. Uh, throwing his fastball 52.4% of the time, which is down from every other year in his career, career low. And the velocity 94.4, career low, and two miles an hour down from last year. So is he still is he still rusty or is he hurt? Neither of which is a good thing long term. No, I mean obviously you don't want him to be hurt. There's no question about that. But um, yeah, it's uh, not great necessarily. So hopefully he bounces back at some point. And if he's not able to do that, the Braves could be in some trouble in the rotation. Uh, last, we should talk about Sunday at least briefly. Um, the one piece of news that hit this week, aside from just the games and stuff like that, was Kevin Gosman dropping his appeal. No real huge impact there, considering he's a starting pitcher. You just kind of skip him um, and move on from there. But uh, Sunday was a good day on the field. Uh, a nice day from Carmargo, and again, breaking out still a little bit. Culberson had a big day as well. Um, the game-saving catch from Nick Markakis in the seventh inning was actually pretty impressive. So credit where credit is due. He's been very good this year at the plate, and that was an awesome play by Marquecas to, you know, maybe not, obviously the Braves could have won the game anyway, but 
the fact that he made that catch kept that uh, kept the margin clean, and then you got in some insurance late on a Tyler Flowers triple. We call him Tyler Wheels Flowers for for nothing. That's obviously uh, no, that was good. Uh, anyway, it was it was sort of a fun game, and um, because of the play that Marquez made, it got to be a little bit less stressful. But um, that few minutes before then was a little bit adventurous. Other than that, it was pretty positive. Yeah, I mean Marquez made the play that pretty much saved the game because if he doesn't catch that, it's a tie game where the Diamondbacks are leading, and then who knows what happens with the bullpen management after that. It might so go all the way really, to the wall. I mean, if he does, if he doesn't make that play, it might that, that might go all the way to the wall, and you're and you're suddenly losing. So uh, yeah, it would have been kind of rough. Yeah, and then obviously, who who knows what happens with the bullpen management after that? Does Luke Jackson even pitch? So on and so forth. So we just didn't have to worry about it. Nick Markakis, my hat is off to you for actually doing something worthy of a Gold Glove. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Our, uh, my thoughts are well documented on Marcakis uh, defensively, and that was a very funny award that he was given. But a nice play today, and uh, by the way, at the plate this season, a 127 WRC+. He's been very good, and I hope, that's, I hope that um, that keeps up because if he's that kind of bat, it really helps in the lineup, especially with the way they use him, to be he's basically about a 300, 390, 460 kind of guy right now, and that that's going to work. I'm not sure it's, it's fully sustainable, but if he can just avoid the full-on drop-off from last year, That'd be a very, very useful piece um, given where he is uh, in the lineup and all that, all that stuff. So, shout out to Marcakis for a quality start um, to the season. I am going to come back in a moment, Joe. We'll talk about some big picture stuff, but before we get to that, here's a quick break to hear from the old sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we're back, and uh, let's talk about Austin Riley because I think he's pretty much the lead topic in Braves country this week. Um, just to set the stage a little bit, he's been, uh, I don't know, out of his mind is probably the best way to put that, um, just because you know he had sort of a slow start to the season, but ever since then he's been uh, kind of a, kind of ridiculous. Coming into today, and because I, I, because minor league stats are kind of tough to um, aggregate, the 18 games prior to today, he had a 1,500 OPS, 
in a 267 WRC plus with 12 home runs in 18 games and 20 extra base hits in 18 games. Now, that is in contrast with a 54 WRC plus, which is awful, in the first 17 games. So it's basically been the tale of two seasons so far for Austin Riley. But in this stretch, he's been you know, out of his mind, and that means a lot of questions about whether the Braves should call him up right now and where they should play him and how they should handle him. So we, we can drill down into why this all might be a consideration, like all the factors in play here. But first things first, Joe, where are you at with Riley, and should he be up sooner rather than later? Well, friendly reminder, the AAA ball is finally juiced this year. So (laughs) all all AAA stats are simply absurd. And even even Chip and Joe were talking about this, which blew my mind. They both seem to agree on it, too. Uh, As for Riley getting called up, when he gets called up, he should get called up to stay. I've been saying this for a while, not just about him, but for guys like Acuna, Albies. Uh, Swanson, when they're up, they should be up for good. And if you call Riley up in the next, I don't know, two to four weeks, where is he playing? He's not playing at third because Josh Donaldson is doing exactly what Josh Donaldson is really expected to do. If you put him in left field, which he's played sparingly during his minor league career, you're theoretically bumping uh, Inciarte to the fourth outfield role, moving Acuna to center. You're arguably worse defensively when you do that. So really the main decision becomes, do you want to have a worse defense and theoretically a better offense? Or do you want to have a somewhat worse offense, assuming NCRT doesn't turn it around over the next month, and a better overall defense? I just don't think there is much of a spot for him right now. And if you call him up just to sit him on the bench five days a week, you're wasting him. You might as well just keep him in AAA and let him learn to uh, strike out less, walk more, get that plate discipline a little better, uh, learn to play left field more. And another thing is that the Braves are rocking a four-man bench right now. So if you put him on the bench full-time, you're either getting a reliever out of this bullpen that has struggled all season, or you're dumping one of four players on the bench that have all been some varying degree of productive and or versatile this year. So it really just does not make sense to call him up unless somebody gets a long-term injury. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting on a number of levels, uh, and we can address all of them here. Um, I agree with your top-line thought to be sure that if you call him up, he needs to be playing. And I mean, maybe not every single day, but he needs to be an everyday player for you when you call him up. That's something that I agree with wholeheartedly. And I think you know the fans rightfully are excited about Riley because he's been ridiculous this year. But, you know, he's not quite seen as like an Acuna-level prospect. Like he's a very good prospect, um, but he's not like this absolute can't-miss guy that, um, you know, that everyone agrees is going to be a superstar. Like he's got huge uh, power potential, clearly. And I think, you know, if all things are equal, you assume now, based on what he's been able to do this year, that he probably is your third baseman next season because Dallas is on, on a one-year contract, et cetera, et cetera. But for this year, the factors in play are several. I mean, number one, you want to play him every day if you call him up. Number two, I know Enciarte has been terrible, and if he hits, if you believe Enciarte is the hitter that he's been this year, like moving forward, then by all means he needs to be benched because he, if, if he hits like this, he's not really a, a major league starter on a good team, um, even with his defense. But if you assume he's going to bounce back, which people do assume, I'm not quite as bullish, but you know, there's a record, a track record of him bouncing back and having little stretches like this, and, and then kind of bouncing back and being okay again. 
if he's an okay hitter, you're having to basically demote him because if you're going to play Austin Riley every day, it's going to have to be in a core outfield spot. They're not going to get rid of Josh Donaldson. So it's one of those things where, yeah, you, you get worse with Acuna going to center field defensively over in CRT. It's not a huge drop-off, but you have to assume that Riley is worse than Acuna defensively. So that's a defensive drop-off. Um, and I don't, I, I, I'm not sure it's more importantly, but NCRT still has some money owed to him, like star-level money. He's, he's owed $7 million next year. He's owed $8 million 2021, and then a club option for $9 million 2022. Um, I'm sure you could trade him, but you'd be trading him at his absolute lowest value because he's not hitting right now. Um, so there's that consideration. Yeah, I guess you could get away with paying him as a fourth outfielder, but because of the short bench that you mentioned, you have to cut ties with somebody or you have to go to a longer bench. There's all kinds of um, interesting discussions to be had. Also, you have Yohan Camargo, who I, I know fans really like Camargo and were you know, huge about him playing a ton. If you have Riley up, Camargo has even less of a place to play. Um, he'll be playing still some places, giving Donaldson days off, etc., but um, that's even less at-bats for Camargo, who people seem to like and want to play more. So there's a lot of factors here, and... Number one for me is I'm always a little bit skeptical of prospects, especially you know non-Uber elite prospects like Acuna. I'm not 100% sure that Riley, Riley will suddenly just be killing it at the Major League level. There's been some assumptions made, I think, from the fan base, which is okay. I'm okay with people being optimistic, but how sure are we that he's going to come in and hit enough right away? Because you, you're not be playing him for his defense. Riley would have to hit or he's not worth playing because you're, you're you're calling him out to play left field and a position that he's not played a ton of he might be fine there but he's not going to be a huge positive so if he doesn't hit um there's just some risk there because i'm kind of with you going back to what you said first if you're calling him up you you you, you want to call him up to stay but if he doesn't hit that gets kind of dicey so you have to be really sure really really sure that he's gonna hit yeah exactly i mean this team is theoretically a contender they can't like afford to wait on guys in the majors to come around or learn how to hit or something along those lines. They need, you know, instant production and they're getting it out of third base with Donaldson right now. That's fine. They're not getting it out of center field with Inciarte, but there's no guarantee they're going to get it with Riley. And would they be better off with uh, Riley in left with a 70 WRC plus and a little more pop and, I'll look on the bright side and say average defense. No, of course they wouldn't be. So it really just turns into a situation where, okay, you have the guy up, but you're not a better team this year and you're probably not going to be a uh, contender later in the season. So you have even more questions that come up, but Hey, you have Austin Riley playing out of position for three (laughs) or four months just to move him back to third and do whatever again with the outfield. How would that look if they move Riley to third and then move Inciarte back into a starting role next season? It would be absolutely absurd. It's weird. I mean, it's. I do think you know as a baseline assumption, if you had to make me guess, you know, you, if you look at some of these projection systems that are tracking Riley, you know, Zips has him as like a, you know, a slightly above average hitter for this for this season when translated to the major leagues, like a 750 OPS ish, something like that, with you know, 19, 20 home runs. If you assume that's what he is, um, you know they have him projected for about one and a half WAR, um, with less than full time plate appearances, like like five hundred and something plate appearances for the season. That isn't if that's the guy you're calling up. I'm not sure you do it. Like you kind of need him to be better than that. Like it wouldn't be a disaster if he was that. But 
if you're displacing Enciarte, who again I'm not the hugest fan of. I mean, we talk about his offense all the time. It's it's a problem at this point in time. But when you factor in his contract, when you factor in all the moving parts that have to go into a move like this, you know, you need him to be good. And Riley, I, all I'll say is I'm a little bit less sure about Riley mashing in the major leagues than some people like. Some people seem to be. Is that is that on the table? Certainly, he, he certainly could come up and be a above average hitter right away and be a really helpful piece in your lineup. I'm not as sure about that as everybody else. Like, I wouldn't project him to be bad, but I just think there's always a little bit too much comfort from fans and other people that I see do this to say that a guy who's hitting well at AAA is definitely going to hit well in the majors when he's never done it before. I'm just going to be always on the side of caution, and that's just my thinking. I totally get the other side of it, but... That's, for me, is kind of where the line draws. I would be totally fine if they did this. If the Braves called up Austin Riley and you know cleared, cleared a spot for him right now and said, we're going to give him the left field job, I would not blast them for that decision. I'm not sure I would make that decision right now just because you know there's a lot of factors in place as we sort of laid out here. So it's not really like, I think people are treating this like it's a really easy decision, and it's not a really easy decision in my opinion. If you're going to do that and bench Inciarte and turn him into a fourth outfielder full-time, I would almost rather roll the dice with Adam Duvall in AAA and see if there is anything left in that tank because he is also mashing this season. Yeah, he's been good. I would almost rather do that because you actually know what you're going to get out of him in the field. He's not a fantastic fielder, but he's a pretty good defensive outfielder, if I recall correctly. And, uh, I think that kind of mitigates some of the risk you might get from calling Riley up and having him play left. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think it's going to happen, but I can sort of see that point. It's not sexy at all, and I think fans would revolt right now if they did that. <laughs> Just because Adam Duvall, I was always more pro Adam Duvall because I think people gave him a really, really bad rap on a really small sample size last year. Um, with that said, I think you would get a lot of pushback if that happened, which I understand, and it's not all about that. Um, but, you know, to your point, Duvall um, has just has been, I think, just as good as Riley. I'm looking this up right now. Um, this season, I mean, obviously Riley's had this incre- had this incredible recent run, but Duvall has been also that good. And it doesn't mean as much because he's obviously older and more established. But Duvall has been basically the same as Riley <laughs> offensively at AAA this year. So maybe that gives you some license if you're a Braves fan to slow down a little bit. Um, you know, Riley's been Babe Ruth for like two, three weeks now. But on the whole, it hasn't been quite that good. So, I don't know. It's just a really nuanced discussion. And I think if you just rate, I think a lot of it probably stems from people being sick of Enciarte, which I totally understand. He's been so bad at the plate. And the peripherals and the um, the batted ball data, none of it's good. Like, he is, like, I think zero, per- zero percentile in uh, hard hit rate. Like, it's, it's kind of a disaster right now at the plate. And if you think that's, like, the new normal for him, then he needs to not be starting. I totally get that. So, if that's where this comes from, I'm on board. I totally, I see it. But if you believe in Sarte bouncing back at all, if you're the Braves, then you got to be wary of this because Enciarte brings stuff that you know is kind of safe. And I'm not saying you're choosing Enciarte over Austin Riley, but because you're already committed to Enciarte, like you have to pay him. He has a contract. Like if they traded Enciarte right now, sure. Then I mean, with, with the express desire to put Austin Riley um, in there every day, I get that. But you're also selling super low on Enciarte, so it's like. You know, there's just a lot of moving parts here. That's kind of where I am on this. And if it was a really easy decision, like, yeah, you, you could certainly cut bait with Matt Joyce and bring up Austin Riley. 
sure, like from a roster standpoint, you could do that. But if you're not going to play them every day, then don't do it. Like there's some people that want to just do the easy thing like that. It's like, okay, I, I get it. But Austin Rowley playing twice a week is not a good idea for his development. He needs to be playing baseball. That's kind of where I am with it. I actually just thought of something that could be a somewhat interesting scenario that I could, I could cut. Yo, it's very weird that I can see (laughs) unfolding in like two months or so. If you get to like the All Star break and the Braves are still hovering around five hundred and the Phillies have opened up maybe an eight game lead in the division. Do you think the Braves could possibly consider trading Donaldson to a contender, calling up Riley for third, and just going with that? Since it's yeah. a one-year deal, I mean, they would shave money off, which we know is oh so important to Liberty. They would arguably be better positioned for next season by doing that, in my opinion. Uh, they might actually make the team better in the second half. It's something that really kind of just occurred to me and seems logical, though somewhat unlikely. Yeah, I want to say, I don't know if it was D.O.B. or Bowman or Gabe, somebody was answering a question about this on Twitter, and they basically just doubled down and said um, the Braves would have to be pretty clearly out of it for them to trade Donaldson, which I kind of agree with. I can't imagine them trading Donaldson if they weren't. I mean, you said eight games back. They probably need to be that or more for them to actually do that. Um, I do think, though, if that were to happen, then trading Donaldson makes a ton of sense. If you're in a situation where you're probably not going to make the playoffs, um, and that's a very likely scenario, like if you're 10% to make the playoffs, 20%, 20% to make the playoffs, yeah, go ahead and put him on the market, see what you can get, and then knowing full well that as soon as you trade him, you get whatever you trade for him, and you're putting Austin Riley at third base every day, that does make a lot of sense to me. But you need to be, for that to actually happen, they need to be out of it, and obviously Braves fans don't want that to happen. So, um, yeah, that, that that's in play. Or if you get an injury to somebody, like if if somebody if one of these guys goes down, whether it be Donaldson or Marquez or anybody in a corner outfield spot or at third base or even Freddie, that opens the door for Riley. Until then, you know, again, I, I'd be okay with them calling him up, but you need to have a clear plan in place. And the only way that clear plan makes any sense at all is with NCR take going to the bench because otherwise there's just not a spot for him to play. It's just kind of the reality of the situation. And I know there's been some movement this week to talk about how they shouldn't have signed Donaldson. It's like, what are we doing? Like, Donaldson's been A, good, and B, not the problem. Um, I understand they had Austin Riley, but if they had if they had called up Austin Riley to start the season at third base, um, people would have revolted because they had Camargo. Like, the only reason it made sense to go with Donaldson is because Donaldson is really good at baseball. There's no way, if they hadn't got Donaldson, that they would have started the season with Riley at third base. They just would have done that. It, it would have been Camargo every day, and that would have been fine. But it's just a lot of revisionism to talk about how they shouldn't have signed Donaldson. Like, yeah, great. If you think Austin Riley is, like, the second coming of Mike Schmidt, cool. But Donaldson's not the problem. I really, I promise you that. He's not been the problem. I know they spent a lot of money on him, but they had more money to spend and didn't spend it. So it wasn't like it was all going to be Donaldson or spent elsewhere. And the funny thing about Donaldson getting piled on for no real reason this week is that so far this season, he actually has a higher uh, WRC plus than Acuna, Marquecas, Swanson, Albies. Oh, no, there's this like, this, there's this like movement. I don't, I'm not even sure where it comes from. And it's not like people that we interact with regularly, I would say. But there's this like thing about him not being good, and it's like 129 WRC plus is really good for the season. Like he's already at about a win above replacement, and we're talking about you know not even mid May. Like he's on pace for like a four win season. 
four and a half win season. Like, what is wrong with that again? I don't understand. Um, and I mean, so, he has a he has a slightly higher isolated power than Freeman too. So I mean, he's not I, been like incredible. Yeah. Like he hasn't been MVP Donaldson from three years ago. But if you told me before the season that he was going to post a one thirty ish WRC plus and play almost every day, I mean, that's more than worth his contract. Like I think people just see the twenty three million dollar total and get freaked out by that. But $23 million is not an overwhelming sum of money for someone that you know is going to be, going to be a very good player, and he's been a very good player. Like that's what, that's what you find him for. Yeah, exactly. He's been pretty much everything I expected at this point, and I think people are just kind of uh, expecting more when they see the 40 homer season in Toronto. and the. I think it's batting average too, which is kind of funny. I think, I think it's the same fans that would not enjoy Donaldson, are the same ones that are looking at his batting average and saying, oh, he's hitting 259. Like, cool. You know what he has? A 15% walk rate. He has a 376 OBP for the season. Like, that's really good. And he has power. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, walks are not sexy, which is why Chipper Jones was so good because he hit for the high average and walked a and ton. Walked. So. Yeah, Chipper was ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked on Donaldson too much here. But, you know, I guess big picture on, on Riley, if they called him up on Tuesday, you know, there's been some people calling for that. Like if him start him starting Tuesday in left field for the Braves in Atlanta, like, you know, if they did that, I wouldn't kill him for it. As long as there's a clear plan in place. The only way that I would criticize the Braves like flat out would be if they did it and had him playing part-time that I would not be okay with. If they go on and just make the, the drastic move to put Ender on the bench you know, I wouldn't like get my pom poms out for it, but I, I totally understand the move as well, and I wouldn't kill him for it. Um, what about you? Would you criticize that move if they suddenly has I'd rather starting every day, starting Tuesday, and that was just like what they're going to do from now on? I'd be cool with it as long as if in a month he's hitting a buck eighty, they don't send him down again. If he comes up, he should be up for the foreseeable future. I don't want this just to be a situation where they pull the plug after a little while and reshuffle the deck just because he immediately hasn't performed out of the gate call him up and play him and keep him up don't don't jerk him around don't let him sit on the bench yeah i totally agree and i think you know he'd have to he need to have a pretty long leash obviously at some point you know two three months in if he's still doing that then you have to reevaluate a little bit because for confidence reasons but i totally agree like you don't need to call him up if he struggles for two weeks you'll get, you'll get some panic but you have to be – if you're going to do this, this is my overarching thing. Is if you're going to make the move and have him do it, it's a – you know, you're taking some risk, and it's a, a permanent move. Like I don't mean permanent could be flexible because, obviously, if he's still bad in three months, and you may not be want to do this anymore. But you need to approach this if you're the Braves, if you were going to call him up as this is what we're going to do the rest of the season. Um, and if that doesn't work, then that doesn't work. But it can't be a stopgap move. The stopgap move is Duvall. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like if you're gonna go and like try to like just put put a jolt in somewhere with some uh, with some ability to go ahead and send the guy back down, like yeah, call up Adam Duvall and just go with a five go with a five man bench and mix and match and try to do something like that. If you want to do the long term move, you go with Riley. If you want to do nothing and hope Ender comes out of it, that's there as well. Which I think there's a, there's definitely a faction of Braves fans that want to do that as well, which I understand too because Ender does have a track record of being better later on in the season, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you know. I guess my biggest overarching point is that there's not really a perfect solution here. I don't think it's a slam dunk. There are some Braves fans that think that, and I I, I get it because Riley is sexy and talented, but it's not an easy choice any of the ways you break it down. 
Yeah, it really isn't. And uh, I think they're just going to stay the course for now just because they don't want to have to answer that question. But with this next week coming up with a couple of really tough series, I think they uh, might be pushed to do something if they don't at least split these next six. Yeah, I mean, six games at home against St. Louis and Milwaukee. They're three games out of the first uh, first, push, first push right now because Philly has been good, but they haven't just run away and hid, and the Braves are back to above 500 after these three wins. So they're not, like, in a terrible position. As much as there's been some frustration in these first 41 games, they're not in an awful spot. They're only three games out of the division lead, and that's fine, but this is an interesting set coming up here because you have six games against, you know, quality teams, but they're all at home. Uh, they have a day off Monday. They should be fresh. So we'll see how everything fares here. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here, Joe, is about Madison Bumgarner because we got a lot of questions about that. There was this uh, scuttlebutt about his no-trade list that came out over the weekend. The Braves are on it, but it seems to be intentional by Bumgarner to put the teams that he wants to go to on the no-trade list. So please uh, talk about what you saw from that and whether he's worth it at all anyway because that's that's suddenly part of this too. Is that Bumgarner is just not that good anymore like he would probably help you but not someone who is like bum garnering capital letters either yeah i think it's like an interesting move from him because i've never really seen a guy roll out his no trade list with eight, <laughs> eight contenders on it that's, and fans, that's, that's fans are like like broke people's brains too like people just couldn't understand what he was trying to do it's like it's clearly he's trying to make it to where he can control where he goes but there is some uh there are some teams on the, that are not on the list that are pretty good. Like the Twins, for instance, were one that got thrown around. Like, oh, he's going to get traded to the Twins because he's not on the list. So it might backfire on him, but it was a, it was definitely creative from him and his agent. It really is, but at the same time, I, I really don't think it's going to work because I think the Giants are just going to look for the best deal. And if one of these other teams that's not on his list offers him the best deal, they'll just take it and kind of thank him for all the uh, three World Series trophies and all of the other assorted drama that comes along with it and uh, just go into the next era. I mean, he's a free agent after the season, so it's not like he's going to be there long term anymore. He's going to be 30 in August. He's not a future building block for the Giants. So if they can get something for him, they'll take him, even if it's not one of his preferred slash not actually preferred teams so we'll see what ends up happening with that but uh yeah i did think that was interesting that he rolls out this list of uh eight teams that are all really good that you think he would want to go to yeah i mean from the brace perspective he has been pretty solid this year he has a 3.88 era 3.42 fip 3.45 xfip uh good strikeout to walk ratios like he's still a good pitcher um, I don't think he's the superstar pitcher that he was, you know, three, four years ago, but he's still someone who clearly would be an upgrade on, for instance, Julio Tehran. But if you're the Braves, I think being that he's on your list, um, sorry, yeah, that the Braves are on his list, um, it's a situation where maybe he wants to like negotiate an extension, and I would not be trying to pay him a lot of money for the future. Like, he's got a lot of wear and tear on his arm. He's still very good, but I mean... Would he, be, would he be someone the Braves should be looking at to trade for? Because there's there are other needs, but as we talked about earlier with the non-free, non-Soroka members of rotation, they could use an upgrade there if they're trying to compete right now, and he could definitely help with that. 
I would really only want to try to trade for him and work out some kind of agreement is like if there was money going the other way, like if they could dump Julio or Ender's contract on the Giants as part of the return, I think that would actually work out pretty well because you're kind of just swapping out money and going a little longer for a better player. But if you're taking him on in exchange for prospects and however large and long this contract extension would be, that's not something I, don't, I think the Braves should do because they have so much pitching depth. They've looked at all these potential top-of-the-rotation guys, haven't really been able to settle on one. And you look at Bumgarner, he's made 38 total starts over the last two years. I mean, some of those injuries were a bit fluky. But still, I wonder how much uh, how much he really has left in that arm, even though he has been great this year. I'm just very, uh, very wary on committing to him for the next three, four, or five years. Yeah, I would not be looking to do that, most likely. I mean, if you can get a great deal on um, him on in, in the trade, that's one thing. But with the no-trade clause, if he's using that, um, and we're assuming that, but if he's using that to do an extension talks, I'm not trying to pay him market value for multiple seasons. That's just not something that I'm looking to do if I'm the Braves with where they are. So a little bit of a, of a precarious situation, but people were asking about Bumgarner because of all the scuttlebutt that we saw this week. So I wanted to ask you about that, given that you cover the whole league, and I think we're pretty much aligned on that for the most part. Um Anything else that you want to talk about? I know we've uh, we've been talking offline a little bit, but anything else that you want to share or get caught up on or uh, just look ahead to this, uh, what should be a very interesting week because of the fact that the Braves are playing two teams that they are matched up kind of evenly with and doing so at home in some, in some, in some important games? Well, something interesting with Bumgarner is that the Giants do have a bunch of relievers that are having really good years That's so that point. could that could also be another package deal like him and a sam dyson or will smith i'd be all over something like that as opposed to just Bumgarner and his hundred million dollar extension or however long we <laughs> but yeah, uh for sure Going back, I think this this week, as I said, is pretty important for the Braves. Hope a split from the Cardinals and Brewers. And then the schedule kind of eases up, you know. Four with the aforementioned Giants, three with the Cardinals, two with the Nationals, who are terrible. Three with the Tigers, who I was watching the Tigers and Angels this week. Detroit is just an awful, awful baseball team. The Braves should yeah, pound I mean, this, the crap out of them. And schedule with the Pirates three with Miami. It's a it's a really weird clustered schedule. And, and after this week, there's a three-week stretch, I believe, where the Braves should be able to roll off a really good record. And after that three-week stretch, I think we'll know a lot more about this team this season than we have learned so far, which is shaky pitching, good hitting. Yeah, I mean, from May 20th, which is uh, next Monday, until June 13th, they play the Giants, Cardinals, Nats, Tigers, the Pirates seven times, and Miami three times. So there's not a lot of uh, fear in that schedule, let's just say. So if they can get if they can get through this week with a you know a split three and three or four and two even, that'd be great. And you get into a pretty soft part of the schedule before it heats up hits back up again because after that stretch, you have Phillies, Mets, Nats, Cubs, Mets, Phillies, which is a lot harder. So uh, yeah, you gotta make gotta make some hay at the, at the end of May and the beginning of June. But we're looking too probably too far ahead. But listen, big picture. They're 21 and 20. It feels 
like it hasn't been great this year. I will be the first one to admit that. But they're only three games out, and you know the projection system still have the Braves in like the mid '80s, which is kind of where I had them before the season. So not a ton has changed. There's some of the, there's some players that have been better than I thought. Some players that have been worse than I thought. Obviously, the bullpen has been a disaster and probably still won't be great moving forward. But all things considered, the Braves are okay. I mean, if they if they had lost two and a half, if they had lost two or three of these games over the weekend, and suddenly were on a spot where they had lost seven of eight. That'd have been a lot more rough, but at twenty-one and twenty and three, all three straight wins, you can't be uh, too too negative right now, in my opinion. Yeah, and you also look at how the schedule has fallen so far. The Braves have played around half their games so far against the NL West. That's kind of ridiculous, and we really haven't seen the team get to go into it with their NL East rivals so far all that much, and I think. Those are the games that matter a lot more since they're essentially worth double in the standings. And I think once we start getting to these meets of the Mets and Phillies and Nationals games, we'll know what really is going on with this team. Because you really can't take too much away from playing seven games with the Diamondbacks and five with the Rockies in the first month plus of the season. Yeah, you know what's bizarre? Not playing Washington until after Memorial Day. They don't play the Nats until the day after Memorial Day. Isn't that insane? That's really weird. Like, they've already blown out on the Rockies minus the snow out game and the <laughs> Diamondbacks, and they haven't played the Nationals once. Yeah, literally don't play the Nats until the Tuesday after Memorial Day, and then it's a two-game series with the Nats. And then they don't play again until June 21st. So, like, you, you got to play them 19 times, and you basically don't even start playing them until the end of June. It's just like, it's just bizarre. And the Nats, are, as you mentioned, they've been terrible. I mean, I, I thought they were going to be pretty good, and most people did. They've been awful. So, I mean, not playing the Nats so far has actually been a bad thing. You would think coming into the year that getting them later might be a good thing because they've been they were supposed to be pretty good. But they're 16 and 24, and they're quite bad. So, uh, playing them might be a good thing. In the first half, they played the Nats a total of five times. Yeah, it's. Really weird. Um, anyway, we said the Marlins. They're better yeah. than the Marlins, who are uh, very minus low 91 bar. right now in 39 games. That's impossibly bad. Very so. low bar. The Marlins are anonymous and depressing and terrible. Yeah, I mean, the Marlins are on pace for 41 wins. Uh, that is not good. <laughs> so, but, but hey, they, they have Lewis Brinson now, so it's all good. Oh man, that's a whole other podcast for another day because they are uh, the gift that keeps on giving to everyone else in the National League. But hey, by the way, just to cap off the positive conversation about the standings, the Braves are currently one game out of the wild card. Wow, that's yep. man. They're one game behind the trio of uh, San Diego, Arizona, and St. Louis. So there you go. The and National Pittsburgh. League. The National League this year is. Um, it does not seem very uh, competitive. I guess you could say there's, you know, four goodish teams and then a lot of mediocrity. Yeah, it's also bizarre if you look at the standings. Just some of the some of the fluke stuff that's going to probably iron out, like these run differentials. For instance, the Reds are uh, plus thirty despite being eighteen and twenty three. Whereas the Pirates are minus 35, 65 runs worse than the Reds, and they are four games ahead of the Reds in the standings. Oh, man. Baseball is great. <laughs> the isn't Pirates it? are minus 35, and they're 20 and 17. 
that is like impossible. Like for instance, we talked about how bad the Nats are. The Nats are minus twenty five. The Pirates are minus thirty five. So the Pirates are ten runs worse than the Nats, and the Pirates are, let's see, five and a half games better than the Nats. So I don't know, man. Yeah. Sports. And uh, in the NL West, the Padres and Diamondbacks have the exact same record. Padres are minus eleven. Diamondbacks are plus thirteen. Yes, yeah, the weirdness of the uh, stuff in in mid May. So don't get, don't get too caught up in the run di- run differentials because one or two games can swing them a lot this time of year, and they'll matter a lot more later to tell you what's going on. But all that to say, um, Joe, please let people know where they can find you. I know you've been on the podcast before. We might have some new listeners though that uh, may not know where you are um, working these days and have been for a while. So please share that with them, and people tell the people where they where they can find uh, your work. Well, you can follow me on the Twitters at Joe underscore TOC. Uh, soccer season all over except for one match, so you get uh, spared from soccer tweets on Saturday and Sunday mornings until August. I am also the managing editor of AwfulAnnouncing.com, where I write and report all about the sports media world, which is always a fun time. And I also do work at TheComeback.com, where you can find a lot of my baseball-specific writing. Check out Joe's stuff, a uh, longtime Braves Twitter person and someone who covers the sport on a big-time level, uh, TOC. RIP to the outside corner, by the way. Yeah, it's been a uh, been a long time since uh, that went away, but it was worth it. And hey, next month is my 10-year Braves blogging anniversary, which is incredibly depressing. That is longer than I've been talking about the Braves. Well, writing about the Braves anyway. No, not, not longer than I've been talking about them, but... Yeah, it's a long time, and uh, there's it's a very interesting community. I do I do enjoy most of the people that write about the Braves, so it's uh it's fun. Uh, Twitter can be ugly sometimes, but uh yeah, it's uh it's better when they win. It's funny. Um, I think people like you and me, and this is the last thing I'll say. People like you and me that are uh, are you know more analytically driven and also cover like the whole league and other sports and things. Um, always get said that like we are too negative and all this stuff, and. Uh, have you ever have, have you gotten the uh, thing where the people people think that you root against the Braves because you analyze them? Uh, it's a fun. Honestly, one for me. I think a lot of those people fell off a while ago because for as long as I've been doing this, man, I, I, people just kind of wised up to that pretty quickly. That I'm not going to sit here and call Jeff Rancor a future building block. In no, it, it, it's just funny because. Um, there and, and honestly, I'm not even mad at these people because people that are, people that actually ask me, um, like there's some people that actually think that we root against the team, which I, I think is always funny. Like I do try to be impartial, but um, guys that I'm more negative on, like a little bit lower than the consensus on, like Marcakis or Julio at this point, or like somebody asked me the other day on Twitter, and they were they were nice about it. They were like, um, "How do you feel about Julio pitches well?" I'm like, "Great, I, I want him to pitch well." <laughs> I want all these guys to do well. Um, even the guys, that I, I mean, I'm happy to be wrong. Like, same, going back to Austin Riley to wrap this up in a, in a nice little bow here, if Austin Riley came up and was just, like, mashing, I'd be thrilled. I, I wouldn't project that, but um, I'd be very happy if he did it. So just to put that on the record one, one, one last time. You know, and about Julio, like, I mean, I've been doing this for his entire career. So when I see him pitch well, I honestly just get depressed because then I remember <laughs> I remember all of the bad starts and all of the potential he had and the fact that like six innings with four hits and two runs and three walks and five strikeouts is considered a good start for him now. It just makes me really sad because I remember when he was like a top 15 prospect in baseball 
and was just incredible and how that seemed like the peak. Yeah, Julio's an adventure, but uh, here we are. And uh, thank you for joining me as always, my friend. We'll do this very, very uh, soon. I think I, I let you go too uh, too long this time before coming back. So I appreciate you hopping on, uh, even in the wake of your grand soccer victory today. And I made you wait until the Game 7, which was insane, between the Raptors and the Sixers finished, because I had to watch that and consume that. And Kawhi Leonard shot hit, hit the rim again just now before it went in. So anyway, thank you for joining me, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Brad. Raheem Sterling, top of the league again. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what's going on in soccer. But as for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Click the subscribe button on whichever podcast platform you like that you might listen to. Um, also, Road to Atlanta is on the same feed, so check us out. More on that podcast, more on this podcast to come, and we'll see everybody next week.